uh, life is a gift. Right? I, don't, I don't feel the need to convince you as a pastor, like life is a gift from God to you. And it is beautiful and wonderful. Amen? I also don't believe that I need to convince you as well that life is hard and life is difficult and there is struggle along the way. Uh, This is just embracing life on life's terms. Um, We live today, you and I, all of us, in uh, the space between the resurrection of Christ and the ascension of Christ to the promise of his second coming. It's what I refer to as living in the in-between, living in the in-between of the resurrection and the second coming of Christ. Scripture calls it living in the last days, and that is where we are. That is where we are living, Um, and I've sought to equip you uh, over the years uh, with a mindset in, in this, honestly, in this battle that we fight living in the in-between or living in the last days. Uh, Jeff, we're going to see if this is going to work, this service. Was that me or you? Okay. All right. We'll see on the next one. We'll see on the next one. Uh, I've sought to equip you with this phrase in living in the in-between, that in the battle that we are fighting, the spiritual battle, emotional battle, relational battle, that we fight not for victory, but from a place of victory because Jesus has won. It is finished. He has atoned for the sin of the world. He has been risen from the grave and he is at the right hand of God the Father waiting for the Father to say, now, it's time now, right? And so we, we fight from a place of victory. What do I mean? Jesus defeated death. He is alive. He is at the right hand of God. In Christ, we have victory, period. In Christ, we have hope, period. In Christ, we have a peace that passes no understanding, period. All that is true. And also, and also uh, we must fight. Um, Peter writes these words in his letter, 1 Peter 5, 8, um, Our battle certainly is against a defeated enemy, but in this broken world, we must remain alert. We must be on our guard, for we have an enemy. Yes, a defeated enemy, but a defeated enemy that still roams around seeking whom he might, do you know the word? Devour. Seeking whom he might devour. What what does that mean? Our enemy um, seeks to devour believers. If he can get us to make an agreement with discouragement, disease, fear, shame, loneliness, isolation, addiction, resentment, lack of forgiveness, if we can make agreements with the things of this world and not make agreements with the promises of heaven, we, we get distracted. We get discouraged and he can devour us with those agreements. Our enemy devours us when our feelings, hear this, when our feelings about our circumstances carry higher authority in our life over the power of God's promises in those hard circumstances. He can devour us, discourage us. We feel overwhelmed. So again, we fight from victory, but we must still fight. Pain and grief is part of the journey in the last days. You might remember Jesus' words to the disciples, John 16. It's Thursday night before Good Friday. 
And one of the very last things he tells the disciples before he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane, when everything starts taking place in the Garden of Gethsemane, he says this to the disciples at 12, in this world you will have trouble. You will have trouble. Um, what our, I'm gonna try this again, Jeff. Bam. Is that me? Okay. We had some issues with this in the first service. What our theology needs is holding both joy, the joy of the Lord is our strength, holding both joy and our grief, our struggle, our sorrows at the same time. What we need to learn is to hold both a celebration of our hope and the lament of our grief. I had the privilege yesterday of speaking at the Celebration of Life service for Matthew Scott. His parents, Bill and Shanna, are part of our church family. His brother, Trey, and his sister-in-law, Brianna, and their kids are part of our church family. And Jody and I... um, and Spada, and a team of people, we had the privilege and honor of uh, caring, speaking for their family yesterday. Um, it was a pretty providential moment. I sit down, I, I, I grab the um, program from, for the service, and um, I open it, and it was a verse that I had already prepared for the service, and it was already a verse that I had prepared for the service today. It's also from John chapter 16, and here's what Jesus told the disciples. Right before he said, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world, he told them this, you have sorrow now. You have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. And the reason why is because joy is not from the earth. It's not from the world. It's not something that we go earn. It's not circumstantial. Joy is a truth from heaven. The joy of the Lord is our strength because it's the joy of the Lord. Joy is supernatural. Joy isn't out there somewhere Joy is the spirit of Christ in here. And Jesus said, no one, nothing can snatch you out of my hand. Therefore, your joy can never be taken away from you. I want to point out three really clear things in this verse that Jesus is pretty specific about. First, there is sorrow now. There is sorrow now. It's part of the journey. It's part of the reality of life. Secondly, No one will be able to take away your joy. He's very clear. That is a truth. That is a promise from heaven for us. And the third thing I want to point out is the empowerment. What is the empowerment that makes no one will take your joy away from you? And the empowerment truth of the verse is, I will see you again. I will see you again. Holding on to both the celebration of our hope And the lament of our grief means never letting go of the promise, I will see you again. That's for the disciples in the upper room 
on the Thursday before Good Friday, and it's for me today, and it's for you today, for all of our days. And here's what I want to encourage you with. I will see you again is the empowerment of joy in the midst of the sorrow. And that's as true today as it's ever been. I will see you again. Um, It would be four days later. So we go Thursday, Good Friday, Saturday, Resurrection Sunday. Jesus defeats death. And the disciples, they heard Jesus say four days prior, I will see you again. And here's, here's what happens. It's John chapter 20. On the evening of the first day of the week, Sunday, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them. And he said, peace be with you. And after he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet, and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Remember the promise from four days prior? I will see you again. Fulfillment of the promise, they see the Lord over. Can you imagine how wild that scene must have been? Untamed joy. They were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. They would spend 40 days with the Lord before he ascended to heaven on the Mount of Olives. He ascends before their eyes. And I want you to hear what happens in that scene because it's very similar to what he told them in the Last Supper in John 16. It's from Acts chapter 1. I don't have this slide up here for you, but these are the verses that I want to read. So 40 days after the resurrection, before Jesus ascends, he's standing on the Mount of Olives with his disciples. And he tells them, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. And they, the disciples, were looking intently into the sky as he was going, and suddenly two men, two angels dressed in white, stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back. This same Jesus will come back back in the same way that you have seen him go up into heaven. What empowerment do you hear? What promise do you hear heaven telling the disciples in that moment? It's the same thing Jesus told them in that moment four days, 40 days prior, and it's this. I will see you again. You will see Jesus again. And that is the empowerment of joy in the midst of the sorrow. We must never let go of, I will see you again. Um, Some of you in this room are in a, a season of lament. Some of you in this room have been in a season of lament for a long time. You know that sad situations 
uh, don't always get better. You know that pain doesn't always get fixed. You know that disease doesn't always get physically healed on this side of heaven. You know that conflicts and broken relationships don't always get resolved. I believe that all of us in this room, every single person, needs um, a deeper understanding on what lament is. The grace of lament in our lives as believers, as followers of Jesus. I would say that lament isn't familiar for most of us. But there is a grace in learning lament so that when grief comes, when trouble comes, that your joy and your hope will sustain you in your life. Um, I'm gonna take some space today uh, and the next two Sundays uh, for us to understand today the grace of lament. And then next Sunday, we're gonna learn to practice lament. And then two Sundays from now, we're going to talk and engage together about what does it look like for us to walk with people that are in lament. So we're going to create some space for this this month. In February, uh, we will uh, open up uh, our study in 2 Timothy. And so that's where we're going to be going the next few weeks. Do you have a a theology of lament? Do you practice lament? What is lament? I would simplify it down to this. Lament is how Christians grieve. You might have heard this before or know this verse from the letter of the Apostle Paul to the church in Thessalonica. We grieve. We, believers, followers, disciples of Jesus, we grieve but we don't grieve like people who don't have hope. We grieve with hope. That's lament. Lament is grieving with hope. Um, I'm reading a book right now called Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy. Um, I'm grateful for my friend Jeff who suggested this book. Uh, In fact, our Thursday morning men's study, we're gonna engage this book this semester. I wanna offer some thoughts from the author. Lament is how you live in between the poles of a hard life and trusting in God's sovereignty. Lament stands in the gap between the pain of our lives and the promise of God. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Emmanuel, God with us. I will see you again. No one will take your joy from you. Lament is how we hold on to both of those things. To cry is human, but to lament is Christian. Did you know that there's an entire book in the Old Testament given to lament? Do you know the name of the book? Lamentations. How long has it been since you read through Lamentations? 
Did you know that one-third of all of the Psalms are lament Psalms? Anyone know Bible trivia? Anybody know how many Psalms there are? No looking in your Bible. Anyone? 150. Jody, you're quick. Did you say 150? I did. Yeah. Huh. A catch prize? A catch prize, yes, after. <laughs> all the marbles, all the marbles. If I had a dollar, I would throw it to you right now. Um, that's a lot of lament psalms, one-third of 150. Do the math. What this means is that lament is not only permitted biblically, it's encouraged. I would even say it this way, it's necessary. God welcomes your lament. And I would say it this way, your faith suffers when lament is missing. Celebration theology is wonderful. I will tell you, singing songs like Lion lights a fire in my soul. I love it. I love it. Celebration theology is wonderful. It's important. It's empowering. It's healing. But if we don't have space for lament as well, our theology and our practice is incomplete. Celebration theology, void of lament, misses our pain, and it misses the pain of others in the room, in the family. How are you doing? We smile, uh, we nod, we, we say that we are fine and that we are trusting in God, but inside, sometimes we know it's a lie. We know it's not true. I, I want to share with you, um, I, I planned on just like, we're just gonna rock into 2 Timothy on this Sunday. That was the plan. And um, I'm just not able to do that. Um, I feel like the Lord was inviting me into space, a fresh space for my own uh, lament. Um, and I just needed, um, I just I needed space to work this out with you and invite you in to this with me and with each other. Um, hey, Swain, how you doing? I'm not fine. I'm not fine. Um, I walk with a limp. And I'll always walk with a limp. That's just the reality of my life. Lament is a very normal address to God for me. So, December 20th uh, would have been uh, Lindsay and I's oldest daughter. Her name is Summer. It would have been her 20th birthday. And she went to be with the Lord when she was two months old. Um, it's always with me. It's always with me. Um, but this year, the grief is hitting me in a really fresh way, and I'm not fine. Um, and what I've learned about grief um, is that it's not tame. It's messy. It's unpredictable. There's no formula for it. You can't go under it. You can't go over it. You can't go around it. You must go 
through it. Um, And I've also learned that raw grief is um, uncomfortable for a lot of people. It's unfamiliar terrain. Um, And so sometimes we mean well as believers, but if we're not careful, we tend to kind of rush people through lament and grief because it's just so unfamiliar and it's so uncomfortable and so raw and so... Um, I just, I'm hopeful that this series, this three-week series, um, will um, give us permission for lament in this body, right? Um, and that, I, not just permission, I want to actually encourage it, that kind of authenticity here. Because um, I've learned that if we don't have space to lament, we stunt the grieving process, And so lament invites grief, and it invites you to ask all of the hard questions, and it invites you to tell all the messy truth, to wrestle with all the messy stuff that you have before God. Um, I believe it opens the door for our truest and most honest thoughts and emotions before God. Um, What I want to do is kind of close the time by showing you a few lament psalms, but not the whole psalm. What I want to do is just read the first kind of verse or two and the last verse of Psalm 55 to 60. So if you want to turn there, if you have your Bible, uh, you can grab one in the P-Rack. If you don't have one, you can also open up your phone if you want to look at it that way. That's fine. What what we're going to see here is that every single one of them starts with a very honest, raw, real cry, complaint before God. And they end with a sense of renewed hope and trust in God. Um, They're really honest. And we're just gonna go 55 to 60. They're really honest Offering the complaints of untamed fear and grief. Sometimes you read some of the lament psalms, you're like, I can't really believe that's in the Bible. But the reality is the psalmist is in pain. And he's not silent about it. And then they end again with this renewed sense of hope and trust. And that's the grace of lament. It's the empowerment of lament. I will tell you, it takes faith to lament. Lament is prayer in pain that leads to trust in God. So let's read these psalms together. Uh, Again, just the first verse or two and then the last verse. I just want you to feel the authenticity of the cries and how the renewed sense of hope comes. We'll spend, we'll dig into a psalm next Sunday as we really learn lament. Psalm 55, listen to my prayer, O God. Do not ignore my plea. Hear me and answer me. My thoughts trouble me and I am distraught. But you, O God, will bring down the wicked into the pit of corruption Bloodthirsty and deceitful men will not live out half their days, but as for me, 
I trust in you. I am distraught. I trust in you. Psalm 56, be merciful to me, O God, for men hotly pursue me all day long. They press their attack. My slanderers pursue me all day long. Many are attacking me in their pride. I am afraid. For you have delivered me from death and my feet from stumbling that I may walk before God in the light of life. Psalm 57, have mercy on me, O God. Have mercy on me, for in you my soul takes refuge. I will take refuge in the shadow of your wings until the disaster has passed. So be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. Psalm 58, do you rulers indeed speak justly? Do you judge uprightly among men? No, No, in your heart you devise injustice and your hands met out violence on the earth. Then men will say, surely the righteous still are rewarded. Surely there is a God who judges the earth. Psalm 59, deliver me from my enemies, O God. Protect me from those who rise up against me. Deliver me from evildoers and save me from bloodthirsty men. Oh, my strength, I sing praise to you. You, oh God, are my fortress, my loving God. Psalm 60, you have rejected us, oh God. Boy, that is some raw truth. It's that cry of the heart when you're in pain that says, where are you? You have rejected us, O God, and burst forth among us. You have been angry, now restore us. With God, we will gain the victory, and he will trample down our enemies. The grace of lament, its authenticity, its faith, ultimately leads us to Jesus. It is raw, it is real, but it refuses to let go of this truth. I will see you again and no one will take away your joy. Lament refuses to give way to despair. Lament refuses to give way to hopelessness. Ecclesiastes 3 really well-known passage in the Old Testament. Ecclesiastes 3 is where um, the author deals with the cyclical nature of life, right? And it says there is a proper time for everything. And it's the first eight verses of Ecclesiastes 3 and the illustration of this truth that there's a proper time for everything just juxtaposes opposites. 14 pairs of contrasting activities as examples of how life is comprised of various seasons, right? There's a time for this, and there's a time for that. What you're not going to find in Ecclesiastes 3 is that there is a time for giving up and giving in. There's not a season for that for believers. What you're not going to find in Ecclesiastes 3 is that there is a season for hopelessness because there's not a season for quitting, Lament never lets go. 
of the hope and the joy that we have in the Lord, in the land of the living. And so we must learn to embrace the grace of lament. And so my hope, even thinking about the song that we sang before we had space here together, is that, um, that in your lament, in your crying out, in your complaints about injustice and pain and suffering and the hardships will lead you here and only here. That lament ultimately will lead us, for I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels or demons, neither the present or the future, nor any powers, neither height or depth, or anything else in all of creation will be able to separate from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. It goes on and on and on and on. Life is hard, yes. Jesus is the redeemer, yes. All will be made well at his return. You will see him again, and no one will take away your joy. Have you read the last two books of the Bible lately? It's the promises of God at the return of Christ. And there's a promise like no more tears, no more pain, no more sorrow when Jesus returns. It's new heaven and new earth. That's the promise to which I say, Maranatha. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. May it be so. May it be true. And to which my soul in lament says, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you for the grace of lament. Uh, I pray your supernatural joy comfort and hope over every story in this room. Holy Spirit, fill us with your prayer, your presence. I pray that as we learn to lament, that there would be a restoration, a renewal of our souls, our lives in the laments that we have in the journey. Thank you that we are a family and that we get to embrace lament together with one another. For if one falls, there the brother or sister is to lift him or her up. Um, thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.